Hello, and welcome to another episode of Classical Stuff You Should Know. I'm Graham Donaldson, and I'm here with... AJ Hannenberg. And we are two rhetoric teachers at Veritas Academy in Austin, Texas. We love classical education. We are both of us still learning everything that there is to know about classical education. And we thought that uh, we just keep on we keep uncovering all of this awesome stuff about the way to teach and the way to learn and the way that it's been done for centuries and centuries and centuries. It's not the way that I went to school. Nope. I went to a Canadian public school and was taught under the sort of modern paradigm of teaching. You? Yep, I was public educated. So we're like classical butterflies. That's we're, right. We're the caterpillars and we're in our chrysalis and we're just learning and eventually we'll have big, beautiful classical, classical wings. wings. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So today's topic that we are going to be discussing is um, uh, something that has to do with the way that we think. Um, we talked a couple of podcasts ago about the platonic soul and how the, the human soul is divided into uh, its rational faculties, its appetitive faculties, the, the appetites, and its sort of spirited faculties, the chest, the heart. Um, but in the ancient world, they sort of broke down the intellectual capacities into more than just how we sort of think about our brains today. We think of our brains as maybe giant computers, or we think of our brains as giant calculators, or these things that are used that just sort of, you you dump in a bunch of data, an input, and then you put it through the meat grinder of your brain, and then you get some com- some kind of learning sausage at the, at the other end of it. What do you call it, wetware? It's just hardware that happens to be soggy. Yes, in your, in your head. So, um, and that's not, that's not the way that uh, they, the ancient world thought about the faculty of reason, the ability to look and perceive and understand and make sense of the world. Um, uh, in the ancient world and then also in the medieval world, in the medieval world, this got a little more focused, especially with um, uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, uh, talk, um, talking, looking at Aristotelian uh, uh, philosophy and turning it into sort of uh, uh, Christian theology. Wait, so we are still talking about the tripartite soul, right? So there's yeah. the intellectual faculties at the top, and that's what we're and that's what we're talking about. about. So we're talking okay. about so there's e- an even further division of the intellectual faculties at the top. So we're sort of zooming in on the top thing, exactly, and leaving the will and the appetite faculties for later. That's right. So we're not okay. talking about the will. We're not talking about the appetitive faculties. We're just looking at the rational faculties, and uh, when I learned this, it sort of I found it quite surprising. Um, so there are these two uh, uh, divisions of your reason. There are sort of two ways of using the rational faculties. One is called ratio. <laughs> like I like the ratio. Role. So Spanish. You have to no uh, uh, or ratio, and one is called intellectus. Um, and these are the, these two faculties. So let's so uh, ratio or ratio. This is the uh, the rational faculty that. Uh, uses reason, it collects things, it classifies things. Um, it's the discursive uh, faculty where you are, it is where your inductive reasoning comes in, where you are inducing things um, by observation. And then there's also, this is also where your deductive reasoning comes in, where you're going through logic and you're coming up with conclusions. Ah, because of this and this and this, therefore X. 
And that is using the ratio. That is using uh, that section of your brain. So that's the wetware machinery, right? That's right. Put so, in blocks and you get house. Exactly. Um, uh, sit down or, or if, you, if you're given a, uh, a flower and you're looking at a daisy, um, this is... Which happens to me All the time. Constantly. Just we're walking in and, and kids are giving us flowers. <laughs> Uh, and you're, and so you sit down and you want to learn everything about this. You observe it and you categorize it. You you talk about its color. You can talk about its uh, its smell, how it's made up. If you can get really close with a micro with a microscope, you can look at its cell structure. Um, you can understand how daisies come to be, how they spread, how uh, the pollen works. This is using uh, that section of your brain called ratio. It's collecting, it's, it's categorizing, it's classifying, it's putting things into categories. Um, and this is probably the thing that we most commonly associate with the faculty of reason. If we're, if we're saying that somebody is a rational person, this is, I think, the thing that we're thinking of when we talk about somebody being a rational person. It means their wetware works good. That's right. The, the, when you put in pieces for a house, their house looks good and it's not janky and doesn't have you know, the breakfast nook in the middle and the, you know, the, the master bedroom out on the porch, that sort of thing. That's right. The computer is working well. If someone is a very logical person, um, they probably have this section of their reason in excess. Um, this is also in the, uh, the, uh, considered the more active side of reasoning where you are the subject and the thing that you are looking at is the object. So in our example, the flower is the object and we are the subject. We are doing something to the flower. We are observing it, we're picking it apart, we're categorizing it, we're looking at it, um, we are classifying it, we're making deductions about the flower. Ah, I see that because of this pollen um, being this color and the honey from the bees close by being of a similar color or whatever, we can deduce that the bees are, are eating this particular honey. I don't right. know, that's probably not how... how I don't know if, if I think honey all comes in different colors. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe just different versions of that same beautiful honey Exactly. Gold. Okay, yeah. so then maybe there's a taste thing. Maybe there's like some honey connoisseurs that can tell you the kinds of flowers that, that, that were pollen that the bees went after because of how it We tastes. actually have a student who, her whole family, that she, they run a bee empire. So we'll that's have to their ask whole her. Job. Yeah. We'll ask her if there's different tastes. Um, but this is sort of the interesting thing. So we, it's a very active uh, faculty. Um, we are the subject. The things we are observing are the objects. So that's, that's ratio. Now, there's also the other side, and this is the one that we don't talk about a lot. Or if we do, I think we as moderns don't put it in the faculty of the rational side of the soul. I think we, off, we sort of put it in a different part of the soul. And this is called the intellectus. And the intellectus is... Um, where we receptively engage the world with contemplation. Uh, for the Middle Ages um, and for the uh, sort of the old classical tradition, this was considered the higher of the two sides of reason. Uh, one was sort of this workhorse, uh, the ratio doing all of this, all of this work, whereas the intellectus was uh, where you were receptively engaging with, with contemplation. You're thinking about something. Um, you are taking it in. Uh, the common uh, metaphor, the analogy that's used is you are observing something and taking it in like a landscape. Um, so where you are just sitting 
and you are looking at something and you are 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 you're still active you're still actively working you're doing something but you are uh, the thing is 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 impressing itself upon you um this is where uh, uh in the ancient world in the middle ages they would say that this was a knowledge that was given whereas the knowledge that comes from the ratio was earned you earned it by doing all of this work whereas the understanding that you could get by contemplation was something that is given almost like a gift from the thing itself and ultimately a gift from God um, where we have the capacity to perceive and understand just by observation and and contemplating it. And wasn't the intellectus also viewed as a lesser shadow of what the angels did constantly, right? The angels are pure intellect from what I remember of that's the... right. So in the in the old cosmology, angels um, were rational beings like human beings were. Um, they didn't have, they didn't grow or change like human beings do. There's, they were incorruptible. So the appetite wasn't so much a thing. Yeah, the appetite wasn't so much a thing, and they couldn't, they didn't change. They were um, beyond the moon, which maybe we'll have to do another podcast about the uh, medieval cosmology. But anything below the moon was subject to change and decay, and it was mutable. It could change, and anything beyond the moon was immutable. It wasn't subject to change, and the angels. Were beyond the moon, and so according to this old medieval model, uh, the angels were pure intellectus. They were rational, like human beings are rational, but they don't have to deduce and they don't have to induce. They don't have to work at understanding because they were they could perceive things face to face, whereas human beings could only perceive things through a veil. Um, and then that's also a veil that becomes even more difficult for us to perceive after the fall of man. Right, we had to work at it, thus the ratio. Exactly. So we have to work at it, whereas the angels ha- were sort of— They just get it. They're, they, they receive it. it. Yeah. They receive it. So they—and this is why they never tire. Uh, and, the one, and the things that they're looking at mainly is God and God's creation, and they can see it sort of more clearly than humans can. And so they can sort of uh, receive it more fully. It's kind of like how I have to work at— style. Like mm-hmm. I have to think really hard about how my clothes go together and you just seem to naturally get it. Like you're just, I'm you a, grasp it. You, you were given style. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I have, it's something I have to think through every morning, how to put things together. And sometimes it goes horribly awry and Graham just can contemplate on his clothing and they hop onto him in fanciful combinations that look so good. That's very flattering. Um, <laughs> now the, the secret is, is that I have uh, a, a, a a taskmaster at home. No, I have a, uh, I think a style a guy. Wife. <laughs> yes, she she picked my clothes out for me. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, so the angels are pure intellectus, whereas human beings are a mixture of the two, and the intellectus is supposed to be the higher of the two. Um, whereas, and it does, isn't it involved with understanding? So intellectus is how you just grasp yes. truths. It's how you think about them. And this is a passive thing, whereas the ratio was an active thing. This is a passive thing where the subject-object relationship are flipped. All of a sudden, we are now the object, and the subject is the cosmos or the thing that we are observing. So if we go back to our daisy analogy, in contemplation, all of a sudden, the daisy becomes the, the subject, and we are the object. It is working on us. So as we sit here passively contemplating the flower or contemplating the scene or contemplating God or contemplating whatever we have uh, before us, um, it works on us and we can understand it 
in a sort of deeper, more truer, truer way uh, as this passive thing. Like I said, it is a given, not earned. Now, that's so mm-hmm. as, a, as a small aside, that's interesting that the intellectus, which is where we are less active, is seen as the higher faculty. Uh, it's it's sort of reflective of the whole the whole cosmological system they had back then, which puts man not at the forefront. Yeah. Everything moves because it's attracted to God, not because man matters. And man happens to be at the middle, not because he's the center of creation, but because that's the kind of, that's the stuff that fell out of the skies mm-hmm. when they were making everything else. It's this, it's kind of the garbage heap at the bottom. So it puts man sort of in a back seat and lets those things that are important to work upon the man rather than the man working upon them. Yes. Um, and it also brings a lot of the, the ability of understanding and perceiving the world outside of the human soul. So it's sort of interesting that in the Middle Ages, the, the concept of geni- genius, so if somebody was a genius, um, genius was actually something that was outside of the human person. Um, in some accounts, genius was uh, an angelic being or a fairy or some sort of uh, Yeah, it was not, an attendant angel. It was right? an attendant <clears throat> angel dedicated to each person who was trying to inspire them to become uh, a more human more, uh, and to uh, enter more into the contemplative life. Whereas I think today when we talk about genius, we say, oh, it's something buried deep down inside somebody. And you're, some people are born with it and other, people's aren't, other people aren't born with it. And uh, that, if that person is a genius, they just have some kind of capacity. Whereas in the Middle Ages, often all of our locations of understanding are always located outside of the individual. This is why you have the muses. The muses would inspire us. They were outside of us. You would have... Um, the influence of the spheres. Exactly. The influence of the spheres or the planets, these things were outside of us. So um, that's, that. you know, for those of you who are not familiar with the cosmology, every planet would, when it was up, have an influence upon mankind. And that's so right. it mattered when you were born, under what stars, and that sort of thing. And different planets would have different influences, the moon being one of them. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you were influenced by the moon, it would make you... Crazy. Well, it would make you a wanderer, mm-hmm. either a physical wanderer in that you moved around a lot or a mental wanderer, which Makes was crazy. lunacy, which yeah. is actually where we get the word, luna yeah. meaning moon. We should do a whole podcast on... We definitely, we absolutely do it. Should. Anyway, but back to this intellectus, because uh, uh, I, I feel like this has some modern implications. So as... The Middle Ages sort of waned and we had the birth of the Enlightenment and the movement towards uh, reason. And you have men like Descartes coming and saying the only way that we can know something is by turning to the the inner person. I doubt. That's the first thing that we can know. It's not that we receive anything from the outside. It's not that we contemplate the universe. The, the, The first point of knowledge is located in the person. And not only that, but the doubt the of the human person. Yep. And so rather than being a union with the things around you, it's a fracturing. So in the modern world, we have moved mm. more towards um, thinking of ratio as the chief and only rational faculty that we need. Um, this is the only the only activity of the human mind is the one that collects and classifies or discursive the in uh, the inductive or deductive. If you were to pick up a, a modern uh, sort of f- uh, philosophy textbook on metaphysics or even on epistemology, how can we know anything? It's going to spend a lot of time talking about our rational capacities of ratio. It's not going to spend a whole lot of time about 
the fact that human beings need to go and spend time contemplating the universe in order to receive things. Now, it sounds super hippy-dippy, right, to say, like, <laughs> the higher point of, of man is just to receive the universe. Let he, the flower work upon let, you. <laughs> you can observe the flower or you can be observed by the flower. <laughs> so, And it's true. It's And I think it's a little we, – we look at that and we say, well, this is – um, this is just hippy dippy stuff, or this is just feelings. All we mean when we talk about the intellectus, and I think this is a mistake, is when people say all we mean when we talk about um, feelings is what does the flower mean to you? And if you contemplate it, all you have is just some sort of subjective thing about it. Because you feel it, it has no greater binding force to the universe or to the created whole. All it is is it's just this sort of subjective thing. And wouldn't so, that perspective sort of be grounded in relativism, right? It's just yes. your feelings and it has no – the outside world can have no emotional truth to it. That's right. So this is what happens when both of these rational faculties kind of get decoupled from each other. You can get into these problems. Um, so if you just have the ratio, if you just have the logical, discursive, inductive, deductive reasoning without the contemplative life, then you get sort of the modern problem of – of just sort of the cold-hearted scientist. All they can do is describe, all they can do is classify, but they can't talk about purpose or why or anything and, like that. And their thoughts might have no actual impact on the person. That's right. right. They're, they are a machine and there's, they're constantly churning, but there's nothing to arrive at. There's nothing to contemplate as a truth mm-hmm. in and of itself. And it doesn't necessarily have any purchase on their lives. That's right. So if we, And then if we just think that this is what the human intellect is and we build sort of intellectual systems around this model of the human brain is just a machine, then we – and I think this is maybe if we really were honest with how maybe you and I were educated as kids, this is this is how I definitely felt. Like you were sort of worked on as a machine. Here's your knowledge widget. Uh, uh, internalize it. Move on to the next class. Here's your knowledge widget. We're putting in all these inputs. We're installing all of these software programs into your brain. And now you should have the proper uh, functions. The yeah, proper there, was no, there was no moral or emotional in- intelligence taught at school at all. And in, only in the past few years, as I look at the Stoics and how they approached the emotional life, and as I look at C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man, do I come to understand that there is an appropriate alignment for for a human and to work towards like moral and emotional goodness and solidity is something to be desired. Yes. Now, the second part, intellectus, even though, excuse me, it's considered the higher of the two faculties, it itself can also be uncoupled. And if it's just taken uh, on its own, it can have its own problem. If it's sort of divorced from the whole of the human soul, you can have your problem. And, and you, were, you were hitting on it earlier, and that's the problem of sort of relativism. If you don't have the rational, the ratio, and you just have the intellectus, then you can't sort of ground it in anything else. And then, then all you're left with is saying, well, this flower has this effect on me. And if, and if it has that effect on you, well, its effect on you is as valid as its effect on me. And we can never have any sort of currency like there, there, there's... So if we separate these two things, we have the problem of maybe the modern man with the ratio and the sort of the postmodern man with the intellectus. Um, um, the intellectus would be kind of the um, – the intellectus and solely the intellectus could be the sort of intellectual problem of the postmodern man. 
the ratio and solely the ratio can be the intellectual problem of the modern man. And there needs to be this perfect marriage of these two things, taking the human being as this whole in order that you can have health. And, and, and virtue is health of the soul. And so if you don't have both of these things working at the same time, uh, the, you won't be able to have virtue because you will have kind of this unhealthy, rational faculty of your soul. So I think this has like tons of implications on thinking about um, cosmology, which I guess we'll have to talk about at some point, uh, and just how we view creation. But I think it has also huge implications on then what do we, how do we input this in the classroom? How do we, how do we marry uh, the ratio and the intellectus? And how in, do we think about logic and reasoning at all? I mean, it seems yeah. if we think about ratio as the highest thing, then then to work and to put forth effort is the highest and not necessarily to actually reach any truth that you can contemplate. That's right. Yes. And sort of um, the work where, where we, um, where we can kind of dissect and pull apart is the, is the, the highest faculty. Um, so with students in poetry class, um, uh, when students say, oh, if we just pick this, po- if we're, we're just analyzing this poem and we're, uh, we're just picking it apart, um, uh, the Wordsworth has a phrase that uh, um, that we murder to dissect. We kill something in order to and to pick apart to understand it. Um, and so, and, that, and I think that's true. And I think what they're getting at is that at some level they understand that that poetry, art, music does need to be just passively received and have it work on you. But it can't just be that. You also have to spend the time looking at how the poem is made and what the poem is saying mm. and asking the questions of like, do you actually agree with what the poet is saying? And, and, um, and look at its structure and look at its form. You have to do this active work and then you also, but you also have to do this passive work. Um, and both of these things are located in the brain. It's not that one is the brain and one is the heart, which I think is what we tend to think right now. And this is why it always bugs me when students say, oh, I don't like English class because I'm more of a science guy. And, and or students saying like, oh, I, I I really don't like science class because I'm more of an English person and I just want to like feel something. And I think what we we really need to work on on breaking that uh, that mode of thinking because uh, what I think they're saying is, oh, I don't like intellectus because I'm ratio. I want to like give me something to work on, give me something to classify, give me something to induce and deduce. Um, and the, or the other student says, oh. I don't want, I'm more intellectus. I don't want any ratio. Just let me, just let me sit and just let me have the thing work on me and just let me have the experiences of the thing. But both of those, uh, uh, show that, that, that there's a side of the soul, uh, and not just the feeling soul. There's actually a side of their rational souls, the governing part of their, of their, per, of their personhood that needs to be developed. And that's that's funny because the modern world would see that as aptitude or that tendency as completely valid and would then push them into one side, whereas medieval man would have seen it as maybe a piece of original sin and that we need to find a better balance between the two souls. That's right. So if you have someone that says, oh, I'm just a creative person, I don't want to do math or I don't want to think about uh, using my brain or that kind of thing, I'm just not gifted in that way. Um, it's actually doing a disservice to say, okay, well then just go and be contemplative and don't worry about 
the ratio the, of the soul. And it's a, equally, it's a disservice to the student that says, well, I don't want to think about all of this feely stuff. Give me numbers, not words. Give me numbers, not words. I don't want to actually receive something from uh, uh, the flower. I want to dissect the flower. Uh, I want to be able to understand it in that way. And we do the student the disservice to allow them to be in that comfortable spot of just using ratio. If we actually want to cultivate virtue, we have to cultivate the entirety of the rational soul, and you have to have both of these things. So, um, yeah, so ratio and intellectus, uh, uh, working together to create virtuous human beings. The whole man. The whole man. Um, so help me help me land this podcast there, Agent. Uh, well, speaking of the whole man, that's the whole podcast. So <laughs> wow. I, it's an easy transition. That was a very was good right transition. There. So yeah. So uh, ratio and intellectus. And I think this is also something that we should, every person should look at their own soul and say, um, am I someone that is spending all of this time feeling like I'm working at um, the side of my brain of, uh, of learning? Um, do I need to take time to, um, to receive and, and, and to contemplate and to understand um, the way that the universe is working? One last little final thought before we sign off on this podcast. I feel like because our modern condition that we live in right now of relativism is so strong that people will naturally bristle at this idea of intellectus just contemplating. And, saying and that like, there is actually a truth to be contemplated. Yes. So in the medieval world, it was not just that you contemplated and whatever sort of crap filled your mind was an acceptable thing. There was actually... And I know, AJ, you really like this concept of, sta- of, of um, sentiments. What's it called? Stable um, sentiments. Sa- stable sentiments. There was actually ways that the flower will make you feel that were valid, and there were fla- ways that the flower made you feel that were mistakes. Um, so like if I'm contemplating a daisy and I feel nauseous, yes. that is not an appropriate response to a daisy. And something is wrong with you as opposed to your feeling being valid because you felt it. There's actually something wrong because flowers when you contemplate the flower, ought not to give the sentiment of nausea. It should be giving the sentiment of of delight. Right, and if it was giving nausea, that's something wrong with the person. That's and right. The, the scary thing about this is that we are actively going against the verbiage of the psychological world, which is invalidation. Mm-hmm. We are, this actively invalidates your experience. Mm -hmm. That's what we're saying, is that if you experience something a certain way that's not the appropriate way, that is actually invalid. Not that you didn't have those feelings, but that they're not the correct ones. Yes, and and the the medievals could say, uh, we back this up because God has created the cosmos to have specific effects on the created order and everything is supposed to bring you back to God. So it's all in harmony, right? Eventually, the longer that you spend contemplating the flower, the more the contemplation of the flower will bring your your brain higher or bring your soul higher to contemplating the divine. Um, Not that the flower is divine, but that the flower points to the divine. And this is true of anything. Just as everything in creation points and moves towards the divine. That's right. But the sub, but you, the, con- the, the contemplative person, and you, the, the, uh, uh, the active ratio person, you can make mistakes, and you can actually... Um, uh, um, the flower could be pointing you to the divine, and you could totally miss it, at which point, if you're nauseous, then you would say, then, then a medieval 
person would say, oh, well, you have a sick soul and we need to fix you because if you're looking at flowers and you're feeling like despair and illness and nausea and, and anxiety, then there's something wrong with you. There's not something wrong with the universe because the universe is created because man was created to exist in its habitat and its habitat was meant to bring man closer to, to God. elevate. Yeah, to yeah. elevate. Um, so yeah, so rational intellectus. So our job as teachers is to try to uh, have both of these things and not just let students say, oh, I'm, I'm a science person. I don't like feeling things. Uh, or a person to say, oh, I, I just feel things. I don't like thinking about things because it's not feeling and thought. It is both in the rational part of the soul. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know with AJ and Graham. Thanks for listening. And we hope to hear or hope that you guys tune in next time. And yeah, man, we got to work on these. We got to work on yeah. the sign out. Send anyway. us emails and stuff. Yeah, and we'll we will, answer your questions. Uh, there will be an email uh, link at the bottom of the page and you can send us emails and then we can answer them for you. Great. Thank you. See you next time.